0: If you've got a Bible, open it up. I actually don't have a text for you to open it up to yet. I think the first one we're going to be in is Matthew 16. We're going to be all over the place. It would help if you can see the Bible for yourself. We're going to look at a lot of texts. This is our third sermon in a five-part series on the church. So what is the church? What's a local church? That's what we talked about the first week. And why is it important that you, you yourself are committed to a local church? Last week, Pastor Luke talked about the gathering, how the gathering is essential. It's central in the life of the local church. And this week, we're going to talk about the church's authority. At first, this was going to be a sermon on the leadership of the church. But there's more to it than that. And you're going to see that in a bit. So this is a sermon on the authority Of a local church. Before we begin, let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, we need your help. There's a lot of explanation tonight, but it would be a shame, oh God, if worship didn't happen in the middle of it. So would you do that, Lord? Would you help me? Would you help us that worship would happen? We are here for the greatness of your name, for the praise of your great name in Jesus. And so we're asking in the power of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus has purchased for us, that you would create worship in our hearts and that we as a church would order ourselves in the way that you have designed, Jesus, for our flourishing. This is all about you, so would you help us. It's in the the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So authority, we've got to define it. If we're going to talk about the authority of the local church, what is it? What is authority? Authority is the right to do something. If you have authority to do something, it doesn't just mean that you have the power to do something. It means you have the power and it's appropriate for you to use your power to do that something. If I I came up to you and I said, you're under arrest, you could rightly say to me, you don't have that authority. I mean, even if I'm stronger than you and I can push you into a jail cell and close the door, I still don't have the authority. It's not appropriate for me to do that. The police, on the other hand, they do they do have the authority to put you in jail. And authority is a good thing. It's a good thing. Maybe you're used to that. Of course authority is a good thing. But for some of you, ah, when, when I hear authority or I sense authority, I get suspicious. Authority is a good thing. It's a good thing that someone has the ability to put bad guys in jail. That's a good thing. Now, In the hands of evil people, that authority can do a lot of damage. But authority is actually intended by God. Authority is given to help things grow. That's what authority is supposed to do. Authority is the right to control and to order things. So God has intended authority to be among men and women from the beginning. He intended mankind before sin entered the world to exercise dominion, authority over this world, to fill it and to subdue it. It was a gift from the beginning. Farmers, every time they control the kind of seeds that they plant, the fertilizer they use, how wide the furrows that they plow are, they're exercising authority Over the land, and it's good. They have the right to control. It helps the land flourish. That's how harvests come. Now, you could use that authority to plant poisonous plants for evil purposes, but the problem isn't the authority. The problem is the sinful person who's using the authority. God has injected authority into his church, he has. Now, he's altered what it looks like because the greatest among us are what? Servants. But he still has injected authority, which means he has given different people and groups in the church the ability to order the life of the church. And he thinks it's appropriate for them to use that ability to order things in his church. That's what we're going to talk about. Here's the main thing. I hope you'll see after we're all done. The congregation, so that's talking about the members, the members of the church when they're together. The congregation has authority to do certain things. And the elders, the pastors of a church, have authority of a different kind to lead, but they're different. They both have authority but it's a different kind of authority, and I want you to see that. So have your Bibles open and be ready. There's lots of explanation in this about how churches are supposed to operate. Jesus cares. He cares. It's His body, and so we want to care too. Here's the outline of this sermon. We're going to talk about the authority of God's Word. It's the first thing, the authority of God's Word. Second, we're going to talk about the authority of the congregation. So the authority of God's word, then the authority of the congregation. And last, we're going to talk about the authority of the elders. I'm going to use the word elders. I mean pastor as well. They're the same thing in the New Testament, elders, pastors. So the authority of God's word, the authority of the congregation, and the authority of the elders. So Let's start with the authority of God's word. In Matthew 28… Verse 18, 18 through 20, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus says, I've got it all. The Father has given it to me. Now you go. He's talking to his disciples. Now you go and make disciples. All authority is his from God the Father. That's incredible. He's the head of the church, Jesus Christ. All authority is his. And that means that any authority that you or I may have, any authority this church has, any authority any leader in this church has, is borrowed authority. It's borrowed authority. We don't create it for ourselves. No one has authority because they created it from their own worth and greatness. That's not how it works. It all flows, it's derivative, it's borrowed. It's given by Jesus, and that means it ought to be used for his sake. It must be used for his sake. Not for any other sake, but for his sake, in a way that he would want it used. Because you can do something for Jesus' sake, in theory, in a way he wouldn't want you to do it. You can be domineering and mean and tell someone to do something because it's for Jesus' sake. That's not the way Jesus wants his authority exercised. This is all about Jesus. The reason we're talking about this up front when we're having a conversation about the church's authority is because you can start looking through the Bible and saying, okay, who has what authority? Oh, I've got this authority. They have that. I wonder what authority she has, okay? And we can forget that this is all about Jesus. It is. It's all for his fame, and it's all from him. So any leadership or power or influence we have is from Jesus. And it's supposed to be used in love and service to Him. That's got to be over this whole conversation about authority or it will go off the rails. It will be a train off the rails, which happens. Practically, that means that the authority above everything we do Where we get our marching orders from is this book from the Bible. That's really what this practically means. This book is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16 says. And that's crucial because any time a church, members of a church, leaders in the church start thinking, I've got authority. (laughs) I can tell people what to do. If it's not governed by this book, If it is not governed by this book, it is not the right use of authority. And it's the kind of leadership that should not be followed. All we do as a church is underneath this book. All that we do. And we want to be clear about that. Jesus is our authority. All the authority we have as a church comes from him. It's supposed to be used for him in a way that he wants with the character he has. And it has to be in line with this book. So just, this encouragement comes almost every week, but know this book, this governs everything we do. if I were to say, guys, Hezekiah 3 says pastors should receive 20% of all your income. You should know the book of Hezekiah doesn't exist. Hezekiah 3 doesn't exist, and... The Bible does have a lot to say about giving, and it's not that. This book governs our lives. No matter who is up front, this is the book that rules the church. Okay, so let's talk about the authority of the congregation. Jesus gives authority to the members of his church, and it's amazing. He's given authority to the gathered members of a local church. So do you know that? God has given you, as members of a church, together, power and authority to do certain things. They're real. This is not make-believe. And we're going to look at two things, congregations, the members together, have authority from Christ to do. And the first is this. Congregations have the authority to affirm someone as a member of the church as well as the authority to discipline someone in the church. Churches, the members, the congregation have that authority to affirm someone as a member and to discipline someone in the church. Now Luke, next week, Lord willing, is going to specifically talk about discipline in the church. But I want you to see what I'm trying to make clear is that elders, pastors, don't have the authority to bring people into church membership And they don't have the authority to remove people either. If you've got a Bible, this is really going to help. Matthew 16. Turn there. Flip there. Matthew 16. Jesus asks his disciples, Who do you guys think that I am? And Simon Peter, he answers, You're the Christ. You're the promised king. You're the son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus speaks to him. So Jesus responds to him. This is Matthew 16, 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus, in this passage, he tells Peter, you just confess that I'm the Christ. You just said that I'm the son of the living God and that was a gift from God to you. This is a parenthesis, but every single person who trusts Jesus, who gets to know who Jesus really is, it's because God revealed it to your heart. This is all about God's grace. Okay, and then Jesus says to Peter, on this rock... That's what the name Peter means, rock. On this rock, I will build my church. So he's saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you and confessions like the one you just made. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind, so close on earth, is that way in heaven. And whatever you loose, open, is that way in heaven. You have the keys, entrance and exit from the kingdom. That's a big deal. It's such a big deal that the Roman Catholic Church has said, ah, Jesus gave Peter the keys of the kingdom. So whoever takes up the position that Peter held in the church, that person will have the keys to the kingdom. That person will be the one who recognizes members of God's family and the one who removes people from fellowship. That person is the Pope. That's a big mistake. It's a huge mistake. And I'm going to show you why it's a big mistake. But just know the idea of the Pope comes from a misunderstanding of this text. Matthew 16 where Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom. If Matthew 16 was all we had, we might think maybe Jesus did make Peter the first pope. Popes hold the keys to the kingdom, they let people into membership, they remove them from membership, he opens, he closes. But Matthew 16 is not all we have. Turn to Matthew 18, two chapters later, starting in verse 15. Jesus is going to talk about what churches should do when there's sin in the church. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That's the word for assembly, Luke explained last week. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, the assembly. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, the assembly, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This passage is about a church disciplining someone who is in unrepentant sin, they won't turn from their sin. And Jesus is saying, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the keys of the kingdom, binding and loosing. I'm talking about affirming people's membership and removing unrepentant people from membership. But you'll notice in this passage, it isn't Peter who holds the keys. It's not Peter alone who binds and looses, who removes people from the church. He's not walking around bringing people in and blasting people out. It's the congregation together. So when Jesus, in Matthew 16, is talking to Peter and he says, I'm going to build my church on you, he's saying, Peter, you're going to be a leader in my church. And as a representative of my church, you will be responsible for who's a member. But he didn't mean Peter was going around bringing people in, kicking people out. Jesus intended that the local congregation would do that. Do you see that from these texts? That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm sure Luke's going here next week. I haven't talked to him about it. He has to go to 1 Corinthians 5. That's why the whole church is supposed to assemble together in order to remove someone from membership. It's because the congregation, the members together, they hold the keys, not the Pope. The congregation together, they affirm someone's membership and they remove people who are in unrepentant sin. Elders and pastors don't do that. Elders and pastors do not have that authority to bring people in or to remove unrepentant people. Next Friday, we're going to have a church member meeting over Zoom, if you can call that a meeting. The elders will recommend people for membership, but the church will vote... To bring them in. It's the same way when a member is disciplined in our church. Pastors don't do it. They don't have the authority. Jesus has given it to the local congregation. That's why we have a vote. It's for this reason. We think the local church has that authority. That's the first thing churches have authority to do from Jesus. The second thing that local churches have authority over is who their leaders are. That's the second thing. Local churches have authority over who their leaders are. I say that because the New Testament holds local congregations responsible for who they are willing to let lead them. We see that multiple times. The churches, the congregations, they are held responsible for who they allow to teach them. So... In Galatians 1, 6 through 8, Paul is talking to the Galatian church, and he says this Galatians 1, verses 6 through 8 I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So Paul, Paul, get this, Paul the apostle is speaking to a church he planted, and he's saying, listen, even if I show up, in the early church, almost no one had more authority than Paul. And he's saying, even with someone who has authority like I do, if I show up and I preach you a different gospel than the one that's in this book that I first delivered to you, get rid of me. <laughs> you should not tolerate a different gospel. You should not tolerate teachers who are bringing you something contrary to this book, even if it's me, even if it's an angel from heaven. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty. Paul rebukes the church in Corinth because they tolerate leaders who harm them. There were leaders among the church in Corinth, and and Paul says this about the church and them. He says, you bear with it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. He's saying you should not put up with it. When your leaders are teaching false things... When they're using you for their own advantage, you shouldn't put up with leaders like that. And when they delight in humiliating you, Paul's saying, why do you put up with that? Local churches shouldn't put up with that. They're responsible. They have authority not to do that. And that's the warning in, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. The opposite of this comes in the form of a warning. When Paul is giving last instructions to Timothy... 2 Timothy 4:3, he says, The time is coming, Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, what will they do? They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So churches are responsible for who they bring in to lead them, but times are coming. When churches will gather people who tell them what their sinful desires already want to hear. And Paul's saying it should not be that way. Local churches are responsible. They're responsible for who they allow to lead them. And it must be someone who is under this word and exalts Jesus Christ. The way that this plays out in our church is that elders and pastors have to be voted on. So we're saying that the congregation has the authority. They can be removed by the congregation. Your elders and pastors can be removed by the local congregation because the Bible says congregations have this responsibility. The members of this church are responsible to Jesus. This is kind of in summary of what we've been talking about. The members of this church are responsible to Jesus for affirming those who should be members of this church and removing those who are in unrepentant sin according to this word. (laughs) We are, as a local church, responsible to do that. And this congregation is responsible to choose leaders who lead according to this word. That's the authority of the congregation. Now, if that's the case then, what authority do elders have? Cuz you're saying the congregation has authority, okay? So what are leaders doing then? We're going to talk about the authority of the elders now. If you remember 2 weeks ago, I mentioned Hebrews 13:17. Hebrews 13:17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So how does this work, okay? The the local church chooses its members. It has the authority to do, I mean, chooses its leaders. It has the authority to do that. But then they're supposed to submit to the authority of those elders. How does that play out? How does that work? Here's my best kind of summation. The congregation, the members, they have the authority to constitute, to establish the church. That means they have the authority to affirm who's a member, who's not. They have the authority to affirm leaders. Pastors don't have that authority. They can't make someone a member of a local church. They can't make elders. They can't make themselves elders or pastors. The elders' authority, then, is not to constitute the church, to establish the church, but their authority is to direct the life of the church as it exists, to make sure that its doctrine and its members thrive. That's their authority. If you walk over to Kennett Hospital here and you visit the maternity ward, The doctor's job is not to make the baby. The doctor's job is to deliver the baby. The doctors don't have authority to make the baby. But they do have authority to direct people when it's time to deliver the baby. You do this, do this. That's their authority. Churches work like that. Elders don't affirm and discipline members. That's not their authority. But they do care for and oversee and direct the members who are there. That's their authority. Now, here are four areas, four areas of responsibility that elders, pastors, are supposed to focus on in the use of their authority. And you should know this because someday you'll either go to a different church or you'll have to choose other leaders, and you should know what should they be doing? And because we're accountable to the congregation, you should know what, what should the elders of this church be doing? Here are four main areas of responsibility that elders are supposed to focus on in the use of their authority. The first is to teach God's word, to teach you God's word. In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it's required that elders are able to teach. And the reason is, it's because it's their job. (laughs) It's part of their job. Titus 1.9 says an elder's job is to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's what elders, pastors do. That's why Paul commands Timothy when he's caring for the church in Ephesus. He says, preach the word. Preach it. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's how Timothy's supposed to lead the church. Pastors and elders are called to teach, to teach the congregation, to teach you. Pastors, elders are also called to equip the church for ministry, to equip you for ministry, doing ministry. In Ephesians 4, we find out God gives leaders to the church And here's one of the reasons God gives leaders. It's in Ephesians 4.12. It's so that they would equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So check that out. Church leaders are not the ones who are supposed to do ministry. Not all of it. They're to equip the members to do ministry, to care for one another, to build up the body of Christ. Church, did you know that that's one of your responsibilities is to care for the other members of this church? Do you think that way? Jesus does. He has given you two other people and them to you, members of this church, to care for. That's what he wants. That's how he builds up his body. And elders are supposed to equip members to do that, to care for one another The reason we're doing this series on the church is not just so that you would have teaching that builds you up personally. We want that. We do. But it's also that you could help others value the church and know why we should value the church. The church won't be built up by elders and pastors alone. It won't. It's not the way God made it. You may have the best pastor in the universe. We're not. We're not the best elders. But even if you did, they would not build the body like it should be built. God has put together the parts to build one another up. And pastors are called to equip the members to do that. They're also called to oversee the the health of your souls. So this is Peter talking in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. He's, He's talking to elders, and he says, I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, do this, elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, not for money, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter is telling the elders to exercise oversight. That means that you, the elders watch over the flock like a shepherd standing on a hill, right? The sheep can be all together. You can care for the other sheep that are next to you. But there's supposed to be people in the church who are overseeing all the sheep. That's what elders and pastors are called to do. Hebrews 13, 17, we talked about this just a minute ago. It uses similar words. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Elders are given to advantage you, to profit you, to help you. Now, we talked in our last point that members are supposed to care for one another, and yet God has placed elders in the church to help make sure that souls are healthy and safe. And we will give an account to Jesus someday, the chief shepherd, for how we cared for your souls. That's why you get phone calls and WhatsApp messages and emails from us, and that might irritate you. You may be like, I've got to respond to this WhatsApp. Why does the pastor care so much that he hasn't seen me in a while? Why won't he leave me alone? Remember, I will stand in the presence of Jesus someday. This is not a fairy tale. I really believe I'm going to look the glorified Jesus Christ in the face and give an account for your souls. Luke will too. We believe this. We're not not spiritual police trying to write you a ticket. We're shepherds, called to oversee the health of your soul. Now, here's the fourth thing, elders should do: they should direct the life of the church. This is kind of like the junk drawer category. It's where you just throw everything else in. Elders are supposed to direct the life of the church. There are many things that the Bible tells us to do as a body together. Big things: preach. Pray, sing. But it doesn't give us the details about how we're supposed to do it. And pastors are tasked with that, helping direct the life of the church where things aren't spelled out. So, church budget, where's that in the New Testament? That's something the elders should take charge of. How many songs are we going to sing in the service? How are we going to do small groups? It's not in the New Testament. Elders are given to help direct churches to care for one another and to do all the things that the Bible calls us to do. So let's, let's sum this up now, okay? How do we relate? Congregation and leaders, they both have authority in different ways. Practically, this means that while the congregation is ultimately finally responsible for who their leaders are once they have appointed men as elders they should generally trust them i think that's what hebrews 13:17 means when it says to submit to your leaders it does not mean that we micromanage your life tell you what job to have where to send your kids to school what kind of clothing to wear no It means that as elders direct the affairs of the church, the congregation generally trusts their direction. So if the elders say, we think it would be good for you to join a Bible study, you shouldn't just write off, say, "Mm, nope, you should take it seriously. That's what it means to generally trust your leaders. We say, we say, We think this member needs to be under church discipline. Here's the process we've been through. Here's what's been going on. The general attitude of the church should be, I'm going to be inclined to listen to what the elders say. I'm inclined to trust them. Now, there are good reasons to speak up and to push back. There are. Like, if you have information the elders don't have and you know they're making a mistake, you should say something. But the general inclination is to trust. I think that's what it means for a congregation who has authority To call leaders, for them to then submit to those elders' authority is to generally trust their direction. Now, if you find yourself in a place where you don't trust the elders, every decision they make, every person they affirm for membership, every decision about Bible studies or small groups, you're like, I don't know. I want to see their work. How did they come to that conclusion? I don't think that's... Maybe, maybe, maybe you should have a conversation with the elders But maybe you should find a different church. Now, I'm not talking about anyone in our church, by the way. I hope I can make that clear. I think that you trust your pastors. You do. And it's not because we are so trustworthy, but it's because you trust God. That's the way that you trust elders who are fallen humans just like you. It's not because the elders are faultless. It's because God who can be trusted in everything calls you to follow elders and he won't let you down even if they do. So that's how the authority of the congregation and the elders work together. Congregation has authority to affirm and establish the church through membership and discipline, to call its leaders, to remove them and the elders have the authority to direct the life of the members that are there and it's all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. Jesus designed this for flourishing. He did. And we want to follow him and care for one another and listen to what he has to say. It's his church and he's worthy that we use it all in service to his great name. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now to worship as a church, to sing, to believe what we sing. Would you help us to care for one another as a church? Would you help the elders to shepherd faithfully? Would you help the church to affirm and discipline faithfully? And would you be exalted, Jesus? This is yours. It is no man's, but yours. So help us, we pray in your name. Amen.